Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. friends, welcome to another episode of the Roto World Football Podcast. My name is Josh Norris. His name, John Daigle. Always here, yes. Daigle, how are we? Doing great. It is Halloween, and I expected you... Well, I didn't expect... Daigle, this podcast comes out after Halloween. <laughs> well, it's fine. I kind of assumed, though, you would maybe show up in a costume and make me feel bad. I'm glad we're on the same page, though. We're both lame enough to not wear a costume, so it's okay. This is me, like, trying to be cool for, like, a uh, school teacher meetup. It looks like a grease jacket. Yeah. Okay. Close well, enough. That's what, that's what they wore. I'm, I'm offended. Um, you know, I try to like break my boundaries and add jackets and not just wear sweaters every day, and that's what I get. It's a I, grease jacket. I went to polos. You like the theater, though, as we've covered in the past. I know. That's why I recognize it. That's why I recognize where you got it from. Daigle, at your previous job, did you work in an office, or is it all from I home? I did, yes. You did. So, like, are you used to the office dynamic? Is this office dynamic any different than your previous office dynamic? This is actually a much better office dynamic, and not just because I'm paid to say that. It is, it, it's just unique, though. It's totally different. And I, I, as I asked you the other day, though, I fully expect everyone, as every office to know does, you? well, not, not just that, <laughs> but to disappear after Thanksgiving. The way offices usually work is that production declines immensely uh-huh. after Thanksgiving until New Year's, and then everyone picks it up around January 7th again. No, not here, because here that's still the stretch of seasons. I mean, it's PL, it's hockey, Well, there will still be the football. daily grinders. Like, you and I will still be here no matter what. Ian will still be here no matter what. No, it gets even busier. Oh, really? The, okay. Yeah, the time when it kind of tapers off is in the summer. The time it kind of tapers off in the summer. Oh, that's why I'm going to taper off, too, so well, that's, that's fine. That's, that's how we live our lives. All right, so today, as you all know, it's our Game Previews episode. Uh, if you missed it, we hit the hard reset button yesterday. We reset for all 32 teams, looked at where they were and how they might do the rest of the season. So go back and listen to that episode. It's a little extended. Ian joined us as well, so even more fun. Mm-hmm. Um, we will have Hayden on later. We will have Pat on later. But Dago, it's just me and you for the first three games. And let's start in the first game of the Sunday slate. That is the 9.30 a.m. Eastern performance of the Houston one. Texans at the Jacksonville Jaguars, kind of. It's in London. The Texans on the road are favored by two points here. Uh, Daigle, it's a total of 47, and these two teams actually played back in week two. We're getting that point in the calendar where the teams have already played each other. Uh, and Houston won just 13-12. to 12. Yeah, and historically we know when two teams play each other the second time, divisional opponents, scoring will be lower. But this matchup sets up really completely differently, and Gardner Minshew has played much better since then. 
Uh, Texans now, we talked about a little bit yesterday, but missing J.J. Watt, this is not 2016 and 2017 where they get to fall back on Jadevian Clowney. It's Whitney Merciless who was there at the time as well, but they have no one to fall back to beyond him. So we don't expect this pass rush to be much of anything. And then you add in the fact that probably their, num their top three corners, Jonathan Joseph, Bradley Roby, and Lonnie Johnson, who was already ruled out, are ex not expected to play. So I would imagine that Gardner Minshew has a tremendous matchup yep. and a top 10 play this week, who is available in quite a few waiver wires still. It's pretty shocking that the total is 47 here because the last three times these teams have played, it's 27, 23, and 25 points combined. That's when Deshaun Watson is that quarterback. Um, we saw Larry Tunzel go out last week for yeah. an extended period of time, and that was actually uh, – played a factor in Deshaun Watson having to throw that touchdown pass with basically one eye because mm -hmm. his left tackle got beat Tremendous immediately. Um, Titus Howard is also questionable. Will Fuller is doubtful, but that's not as much of an issue now that they have Kenny Stills stepping in. It's, it's fascinating to look at these two receivers because we all know DeAndre Hopkins is one of the best receivers in the NFL. We can all say that. He has 60 catches, 617 yards, and three touchdowns so far through eight games because mm -hmm. the Texans are five and three. DJ Chark has just 39 catches, but 660 yards and six touchdowns. DJ Chark is emerging as a top 15 wide receiver in the NFL, and his chemistry, like you alluded to with Gardner Minshew, is off the charts. And so any defense is going to try to slow down Chark, and I don't know if the Texans have the ability, the personnel, the coaching to do that. They don't just have Shark, though. And the yards sort of make sense since, as we frustratingly know, DeAndre Hopkins' average depth of target this year is right under nine. Um, but with D.D. Westbrook banged up the past two weeks, it's been Chris Conley. And Chris Conley was playing 78% of the snaps before the last two weeks. Uh, he has just been now involved more targets-wise, eight targets, then seven targets, with D.D. Westbrook banged up from that shoulder injury. So this is also, again, just like Shark, a great match for him against the secondary. And I know we are slightly concerned about Kenny Stills, but the fact is Kenny Stills, 95% of snaps last week. Um, he, he matched, ran the same amount of routes as DeAndre Hopkins last week. He's still on the field every single down. And against this, in this good matchup against Jacksonville secondary, you're once again going back to him. And same as Darren Fells, who leads all tight ends and red zone targets over the last month, uh, a ceiling tight end play. I would understand if someone wants to take the favorites here in the Texans because their only losses have been to the Saints, the Panthers, and the Colts, three very, very good mm -hmm. teams. But just lining up these two teams next to each other, I think the Jaguars won it. I truly do. I do. Because of how they have their running game that's already established, and some people might say, well, that doesn't matter. It does matter for the Jaguars when Leonard Fournette is seeing over 25 touches per game. Yeah. And sure, the Texans have DJ Reader, who's been a very, very good run-stuffing defensive tackle this year. But then Jacksonville has added this element. We talked about on the reset show yesterday that Minshew has changed the identity of this offense in so many ways. He has that ability to win inside of chaos, to buy himself that extra moment, and to find players like Chris Conley and DJ Chark. And for a defense that is so suspect and just gets even worse, it seems like, each week in the Houston Texans, I don't know how they keep the Jaguars under 22 points in this game. And they don't just do, do, do it through the air. Uh, Leonard Fournette has been on 91% of the snaps so far this year because he's been healthy, leads all running backs and routes run on the season. Um, this is not your mom and pop Jaguars. Like they no. are getting it done in a, dangerous. a variety of ways. Yeah, they're very dangerous. All right, the next game, let's go to the Indianapolis Colts going to the Pittsburgh Steelers. 43 and a half total this one. Obviously, 
The Colts are five and two. The Steelers are three and four. But the Colts are only favored by one point in the road. I looked at a lot of the games this week because, you know, it's part of the job. And it's one of those where you sit back and you think, am I stupid or is the desert stupid? Okay? Mm-hmm. Because a lot of these spreads are crazy, are wild yeah, to they me. They are every single and week. This one stands out most of all because the Colts are a good football team. The Steelers are a bad football team at three and four. Their only wins are to the Bengals, are to the Chargers, and to the Dolphins. Every single decent team, and they've played more than decent teams, they've played good teams, they've lost to them. So how are the Steelers favored here after what we just saw on, what, Monday Night Football when they gave 14 points to the Dolphins? Well, I still think it's a little bit of recency bias. Like, the Steelers, I understand the first half was pitiful, but then we kind of knew which direction that second half was going once the offense started clicking. And the fact is, Mason Rudolph coming into that game averaged under four air yards per attempt. was not going downfield whatsoever. And then that game, whether it be against Miami or whether it be because they came out of the bye off 14 days rest and prepped him more, whatever the case, 12.8 air yards per attempt. Like, he actually went downfield a lot to both Deontay Johnson and Juju Smith-Schuster. But the line, I do think it's more recency bias. The fact is the Colts, we question it every single week, but it's play calling. It is uh, efficiency above all. Yeah. It's just like they're, they're just an overall good, very, very good team um, in a position to win. And their first month of the season, you know, they, they ranked top five in neutral run rate. They bought the run the damn ball hats and warm around the locker room. But the last month, quietly, they're top seven in neutral pass play rate. They're slowly yeah. leaning on Jacoby Brissett more and more as the season progresses, and he hasn't failed them yet. I think it's fair to wonder if this Colts identity can win once you get to December, January, into the playoffs, right? Yeah. But I don't think you can question if that style is going to beat the Steelers. Like, that – who they are in terms of winning these one-score games or playing these one-score games, I mean, they've won three straight. The Colts' defense is extremely questionable, that's sure, but not nearly as questionable as Mason Rudolph in this offense. And while the Steelers' defense has played quite well in stretches this season, the Colts are one of the most well-coached teams in the NFL offensively. And you said it. What Jacob Brissett did last week against the Denver Broncos, seeing his worst a, game of the season, seeing a free and it didn't matter until those final two minutes, yep. right? Seeing a free Von Miller rush at him inside his own 11-yard line without with ten with two minutes left to go, avoiding that, getting to the sideline, throwing a rope, a laser, 35 yards along the sideline, ridiculous play. And if he didn't make that play. They would have lost that game. And for fantasy, it helps us that their target tree is slowly dwindling down. Deion Kane healthy scratch last week, which led Zach Pascal to run a season or play a season high 92% of the snaps, run the second most routes for the Colts right behind T.Y. Hilton. Jack Doyle has still quietly doubled up Eric Ebron's snaps. That's why we faded him this offseason. Yeah. Eric Ebron's still spiking the touchdown from here and there, but obviously he's going to whiff on his double digits from last year. So no, it's getting smaller for us to play these Colts, especially in the passing game, more safely. Since week, since week three, Juju Smith-Schuster has 19 catches, 281 yards, and three touchdowns on 30 targets. Deontay Johnson's right there with him. I believe he still leads them in air yards with Mason Rudolph under center. 21 catches, 254 yards, and the same three touchdowns on 29 he targets. He looks great. He does look great. Uh, Mason Rudolph does not look great. No. At no. all. I mean, when they were two and what, what were they, uh, two and four when they made they were the bad. first round deal? Yeah, whenever they <laughs> traded, they were below 500 whenever they traded that first round pick for Meek and Fitzpatrick. And yes, it did give them eight former first rounders on their defense, and their defense has played lights out. But 
that they instilled confidence. They believed in Mason Rudolph. And I just thought, okay, they've seen something we have not. But that clearly wasn't the case. No. Uh, they just did it because they didn't accept reality and they were going for the win and it was a bad decision, move, a bad business move. And the Colts have name brand players in their defense who have either been injured and haven't played well or just haven't played well overall. Darius Leonard is one of those. Malik Hooker mm -hmm. is one of those. Again, you to get them all healthy, first of all. Right. And again, it's one of those where we only have eight games into the season. The second half of the season after Halloween is really where the, the contenders really separate themselves. And so if we see the Colts defense move from like being the 25th worst defense in the NFL to like the 15th, mm -hmm. that would make a massive edge and change some of these one-point games or one-score games in their favor. Uh, all right, moving on. Let's finish this uh, uh, little grouping out with the Dallas Cowboys at the New York Giants. Cowboys on the road, seven-point favorites, 48 total. Cowboys are four and three, as we know, and the Giants are two and six. It's actually Monday night football. Daigle, always fun when these two teams play. A new mm -hmm. little added wrinkle this year is obviously Daniel Jones at quarterback for the Giants. I am concerned about Daniel Jones in this matchup. Me too. <laughs> he has tossed for 300 yards in two games this season, and those just not so coincidentally happen to be the two games he's been under pressure the at the lowest rate. I mean, every other game he's been under pressure over 38% of the time. But against the Bucks and the Lions, basically went untouched 35%. Uh, now we're talking about a Cowboys defense that not only gets <clears throat> Robert Quinn back healthy from this hip injury, has had 14 days to rest after the bye, but also they added Michael Bennett uh, at the bye before the trade deadline. Right. It's And we expect DeMarcus Lawrence, Jalen Smith, and Leighton Vander Esch to be just better, right? Because we know exactly. they're one of the best linebacking groups in the league, and they haven't played like that so far. So just simple, logical regression as well. I am terrified for Daniel Jones in this matchup. And the Cowboys are coming off a bye week. Yeah. And prior to that bye week, Ezekiel Elliott had 33 and 28 touches prior to it. Uh, just going one more on Daniel Jones. He's one of these players that no matter what seems to make a mistake early in games. Now, for a lot of other quarterbacks, and especially ones that people were critical of, that would tank their games. That would destroy their games. It would start off bad and then continue to get worse and worse and worse because they're forcing it. At least Daniel Jones is able to gather himself, take a moment, and forget about it, it seems like, and play well for the remainder of games. Like He has drives after an interception or after a fumble, and he has a major fumbling problem, which yep. can be a big factor in this game, um, that he goes like six for six for 72 yards and a score. It's, it's impressive when that happens, but we haven't seen him display the ability opposite someone like Jameis Winston, where he can not have those mistakes early in games. And if so, then that's always going to cripple and put the his team as a whole behind the eight ball. I think it's still good for their future, though, that Darius Slayton has kind of broken out this past month. I would expect him to replace Cody Latimer over the end of the season. And then he also has pieces in Sterling Shepard and Evan Ingram and Saquon Barkley to just bu continue building with and, pr and hopefully getting better. And we'll see Leonard Williams make his debut for the Giants. Obviously, he was traded for a third and a fifth-round pick. I believe he can turn to a fourth with a second contract. He joins a, a really, really good front. I mean, B.J. Hill is pretty mm -hmm. good. Dexter Lawrence is pretty good. None of them really offer pass rushing upside. Right. And it's, they stacked the hog mollies is what they did. Right. And that's a big deal. And even with all that run stuffing up there, they're not going to be able to still slow down Ezekiel Elliott. And that's a major difference. And Ezekiel Elliott has gotten all of that usage recently, but I would still say 
in Michael Gallup's and Amari Cooper's four games they have finished together, they still are tied in target share, 33 targets each. Hmm. Both of them are factors. Yes, Cooper's the one who's had 1,300 yards and nine touchdowns in his last 16 games with the Cowboys, but Gallup is still a major factor in just his second year in the league. Time now to bring on Patrick Darty himself. Patrick writes the rankings up on Roto World. Pat, let's start up with the Vikings at the Chiefs, 49 total in this one. Chiefs at home, actually two-point favorites. You know last week, I think you were joining us for this conversation, Pat. Mm -hmm. um, the spread, I believe, was three and a half or four and a half with the Packers favored in that game. It ended up being seven points. I was right. I once again here, Pat, believe that not only are the Vikings going to cover this two-point spread, I think they, they are going to give Matt Moore fits. I think they're going to absolutely throttle the Chiefs here. Um, who in that case, Pat, would you expect to go off for the Vikings? Well, first, I don't know if I agree with your diagnosis of Good. the game. Tell Josh. me why I'm wrong. Uh, I just think Andy Reid can do, he did it. I think he can smoke enough mirrors, uh, so to speak to make Matt more viable. And he kept Tyreek Hill afloat last week. He got Travis Kelsey a touchdown last week. Even Sammy Watkins compiled a little bit and, Matt Moore, it's in Kansas City, which is a big help. If this game were in Minnesota, there would be pretty much close to no hope. But Matt Moore's weapons and coaching are so good that I think he can keep the Chiefs competitive, which is very good for the Vikings passing offense in fantasy because really the only thing that could derail Kirk Cousins in Week 8 was a non-competitive Redskins team. And I just think the Chiefs will keep it long enough this week that Kirk Cousins will be able to get his numbers for Stephon Diggs and Adam Thielen. Uh, Stephon Diggs, by the way, uh, has 99 more yards than any receiver over the past three games, uh, as hot as any player could possibly be. And, you know, to keeping this game, the Vikings defense is tough, but no one – who which Vikings corner on an individual level is playing well, you know? Couldn't I ask the so same thing about the Chiefs? Which individual well, corner true, is playing well very for them? True. But uh, the Chiefs' defense has actually weirdly been playing better as a whole, even though, like you said, not a lot of great individual uh, performances, really. But uh, I just think that there's – I think the Chiefs can keep this game close, which is good news for everyone in fantasy. Okay, so if they keep this game close, then let's not even talk about Tyreek Hill. He's the one person his athleticism can trump everything. It doesn't matter. You're going to play him no matter what. Where else are you ranking these guys? Where else are we looking to? Uh, just – I had Travis Kelsey ranked – as the number one overall tight end last week, which uh, maybe was kind of reckless, but I thought Matt Moore might lock onto him. He didn't quite lock onto him, but he did get him that touchdown. Don't have him number one. I think I have Kelsey in the four to five range. I've got Sammy Watkins just outside the wide receiver three range. The, the peripheral guys now are all really kind of canceling each other out. You know, we just don't have a great way. Nicole Hardman did score a touchdown last week. We just don't have a great way of differentiating between Nicole Hardman and Demarcus Robinson right now. And yeah, I'm really not sure what to do with the backfield. Uh, Andy Reid did the Belichickian move of benching LaShawn McCoy after his inexcusable fumble last Sunday. Uh, it did not result in a big game for Damian Williams, but especially against, you know, a tough defense like the Vikings, a little tougher than the, the Packers. I think it would make a ton of sense to get Damian Williams more involved in the passing game again. Uh, he wasn't last week. So I, I have Damian Williams with ever so slight rankings edge on LaShawn McCoy, which a lot of people might not agree with, but Andy was upset. And to me, it makes a lot of sense to get Damian Williams more involved this week. Look, I love Andy Reid. I think he is probably the most underappreciated head coach in the last, what, Long two time. decades? Yeah. Um, but Pat, I overall think that we are giving the Chiefs way too much credit over the last four games. 
They are one and three in the last three games, and all three of those losses have been at home, and all three of those losses have been by at least six points. Lost by six points to the Colts. Lost by seven points to the Texans. Lost by seven points to the Packers. This is a very good Vikings team. This is a Vikings team that is six and two. This is a Vikings team that has an identity on defense despite those poor corners that you have mentioned. They have a very much an identity on offense. We haven't even talked about how good Dalvin Cook has been so far this right. season and how they want to establish Dalvin Cook but and how the Chiefs no, no, and how the Chiefs are maybe, maybe one of the bottom three run defenses not maybe, in the NFL. Are. So how are they ever going to stop the they Vikings just this week. faced a better team than the Vikings and kept it close for almost four quarters last week, Josh. Uh, and, uh, yeah, you know, they, a little, they struggle a little bit against running. Keeping back, it close, Josh. still lost uh, by seven. Aaron Jones might have had a historically good receiving day for a running back last week, Josh. So it does set up well for Dalvin. I just don't – I just do not – I don't see the Vikings blowing this team out. I just don't. All right, well – we will reconvene next week. And All you're right. starting Dalvin Cook we anyways. We don't need to talk about Dalvin Cook. You're starting. So All right, fine. next up, the Lions. I'm not going to get as heated about this one because it's the Lions and the Raiders. Uh, and the Raiders are two-point favorites at home. It's a larger total at 50 and a half. The Lions are 500. They're 3-3-1. Three, three, and one. Uh, And the Raiders are 3-4. and four. I would say both teams at times, Pat, have shown better than their records. Um, it is noteworthy that Rodney Hudson, the center for the Raiders, mm-hmm. is listed as doubtful in this one because we know that the Raiders' identity is Josh Jacobs. Uh, going against Matt Patricia, Pat, do you think that this John Gruden-led offense can still be putting up these yards and these points that they have in recent weeks? Yeah, I don't think this is a troublesome spot for the Raiders. You know, the Lions, they just traded Quandre Diggs. Then they just lost uh, fellow safety Tracy Walker to a knee injury. Uh, no one is allowing more weekly passing yards, actually, than the Lions, which people might not realize because the Bucks get a lot of attention in that department and as well a few other teams. The Lions are actually allowing the most passing yards in all of football. And, uh, you know, Derek Carr, he's been having a kind of quietly good game. He just dissected a pretty good Packers defense two weeks ago. Um, and yeah, I just, yeah, the, the Lions defense, uh, we were giving them credit early in the season for good game plans, which, you know, I'm sure they still kind of have. But, yeah, they are, they're allowing a lot of bulk yardage. And what, this is the Raiders' first home game in, like, what, two years, I believe? It's the <laughs> first game they've played in Oakland. Um so yeah, I, I think I, Derek Carr, uh, definitely a famous last words type of thing, but is one of the week's top streamers. In terms of DVOA, Daigle, these are the offenses the Raiders have a higher offensive DVOA than. Mm-hmm. The San Francisco 49ers, the New England Patriots, the LA Rams, Houston Texans. It's a lot more teams than that, but those are the notable ones that stood out to me. Daigle, what if I told you that through seven games so far this season, in some ways this has been a coaching masterpiece by John Gruden considering the talent on the Raiders. Uh, Derek Carr actually leads the league in, in completion percentage under pressure because, yes, Darren Waller. That's like astonishing, John. Yeah, I that's had to shocking. interrupt. Yeah. That's uh, like astonishing. And Darren Waller factors into that, right? Like if he's dumping off, it makes it easier to just get rid of the ball when someone's rushing his face. However, the fact that Ty- Tyrell Williams came back, didn't miss a beat, finished number nine overall among all skill players in air yards last week. Another terrific matchup. Whether or not Darius Slay plays, I don't think it matters. So, Pat, where do you have Tyrell Williams ranked this week? Tyrell, it's the one I like. Uh, I was kind of moving him up as the week went along. I have him as a low end wide receiver two now. I did have him as a wide receiver three which is too low I I think some people are kind of higher on him this week he has scored in five of five appearances uh and has a very good matchup 
as you just laid out. But I just he used to be, he should in theory be a ceiling player, but he hasn't really hit a big play all year. And the Raiders, uh, their effectiveness in offense has been a lot more about efficiency than big plays. So even against this defense, I'm not really expecting a you know big play week for Tyrell Williams. But yeah, he's getting red zone looks, and he is the number one receiver. So to me, he's like a solid wide receiver too. I have him like that twenty to twenty four range. Uh, Pat, the Raiders defense has absolutely no talent on it. Uh, it seems like at, at times, uh, and I could say the same thing about the Lions backfield. However, someone is going to get touches out of the Lions' backfield. Um, and, in fact, the Lions' games are averaging the highest combined offensive snaps in games across the NFL mm -hmm. this season. Pat, are you higher on anyone on this Lions' backfield? Is there anyone that you would even consider playing in this Detroit unit? It's all relatively speaking, of course. I remain the highest on Ty Johnson, who uh, he lost many, many wars in the Lions' backfield last week. Uh, but he did win the snap battle. He did win the efficiency battle also, uh, barely. But he was more effective on a per-touch basis than Trey Carson. And uh, he had two nice runs called back by penalty, too. I, I think Ty Johnson, Trey Carson, you know, who's claimed off waivers 10 days for the game last Sunday, didn't do anything to run away with the backfield. I, I think Ty Johnson kind of like proved to Matt Patricia he's still the, the what should be the building block for this three- or four-man committee. And so I do have him ranked the highest. I don't have him ranked as like a viable flex play, but he's in he's in like the low RB40 range. So he's not like a totally embarrassing flex play, but obviously he's a low floor, low... There's an argument to be made for Ty Johnson, basically. I don't really know if there's an argument to be made for Trey Carson after last week. He had a shot and really did nothing with it. Let's go to the game of the week. It's an awesome one. And it just so happens to be in Sunday Night Football. Imagine <laughs> that. It's the New England Patriots visiting the Baltimore Ravens. 44.5 total in this one. The Patriots on the road, again, 8-0, are 3.5-point favorites. But the Ravens are 5-2 themselves. Mm -hmm. uh, Pat, Devin McCourty this week said Lamar Jackson is a player he's never seen like that at the quarterback position. I, I think we all believe this, that if the Ravens are going to be competitive – Lamar Jackson has to be great. And Lamar Jackson has been great to all of us in fantasy football so far this season. But some people might be nervous playing him against this Patriots defense. Where do you have him ranked this week? I got him in, uh, I believe, six or seven. I can't remember the exact spot. But I mean, Devin McCourty is right. Uh, Lamar Jackson completed nine passes in week seven and finished as the QB nine. So that's just not something we're used to seeing. And, uh, He's the QB1 by average points right now. He's yet to finish lower than the QB16. Uh, he's been held, and that's the only time he's been held outside the top 12 was his QB16 week. And uh, he's just a different kind of talent, especially in fantasy. You know, it translates so well to fantasy, uh, coming off back-to-back 100-yard -back rushing performances. We know all about the Chiefs, or the Patriots defense. Uh, we also know all about how soft the schedule has been. But I still don't know if people really – like so here the Patriots have faced a Tommy John Ben Roethlisberger uh the Ryan Fitzpatrick uh Sam or uh, not Sam Darnold Josh Rosen duo Luke Falk Josh Allen literally Colt McCoy like how how is that possible how have the New England Patriots faced Colt McCoy this year uh, Daniel Jones Sam Darnold and Baker Mayfield so to say that Lamar Jackson will be the best quarterback they faced all season is an understatement uh, of course, Lamar Jackson is also the kind of young quarterback Bill Belichick has just been feasting on all year. And Lamar Jackson struggled uh, in these kind of spots last year. But 
to me, this is the most fascinating matchup of the season so far uh, for all the reasons we kind of just laid out. And I do, I don't think Lamar, you can't rank him as a top three quarterback this week, but to me, there was no reason to fade him out of that QB one, like the mid range. Mark Andrews, you're starting as a top eight, top 10 play, despite the matchup, just because 28% target share over the last month, Lamar Jackson literally has nowhere else to go. Even with Marquise Brown on the field, Mark Andrews is a great play just because of his position. But let's talk about this New England offense, because it's a mess. Uh, Mohamed Sanu gets instilled, and then Julian Edelman runs 71% of his routes still from the slot. Mohamed Sanu gets thrown in for 61% of his routes from the slot. And we also have Sonny Michelle, who has yet to catch a pass in games that Rex Burkhead's active. Six of his seven targets this year in games that Rex Burkhead has been out. So what are you doing with this offense as a whole? Because we know they're going to get their points. Uh, Baltimore did improve their defense Do over the Do we know bye. that? Yeah. I, I mean, I think so. Like, I think I'm still I, pretty confident. Yeah, I think Baltimore's defense has improved. Like, Pat, I think Marcus Peters had a nice first game. Marlon Humphrey, Jimmy Smith is probably coming yep. back. Like, if the Ravens' defense is going to improve anywhere, it's in that secondary. Um, and, Pat, I still think Tom Brady's playing well. I understand. I like, don't. Okay. Well, I, I do. And I think that there are moments in Patriots' seasons where we question certain aspects of this team, mm -hmm. and it's been the offense so far this year, obviously, because it certainly can't be the defense. But I think at some point, and it might start this week, that this Patriots defense will start gelling, and, and or the Patriots offense will start gelling and, and playing at a high level. You don't you don't agree, Pat? No, I don't. Tom Brady is only the QB ten by average points, and their their schedule has been the Patriots offense schedule has been almost as soft as the Patriots defense schedule. Uh, Tom Brady's cleared only two touchdowns twice. He's cleared two touchdowns only twice all year. And now it's facing a Ravens defense that held Russell Wilson in check before their bye. And they got healthy, like you said, with Jimmy Smith that's was fair. not going to be in this game. I mean, Marcus Peters is the, the number three corner. This is a, a defense that's getting a lot better. And Tom Brady, to me, has been failing the eye test miserably. And it just hasn't looked a ton better. And he should be, with this schedule, Tom Brady should be the, in the top three or four, not the QB 10. And like the, I feel like the futility of the Patriots, not futility, uh, the struggles of the Patriots offense would be one of the biggest stories of the NFL season, if not for how amazing their defense had been. And this is this is a this is a gut check spot for Tom Brady and the Patriots offense. Again, that was Patrick Darty. You can check out his rankings up on Roto World right now if you have any lineup conundrums that you need to take care of. But now we bring on the fantasy forecaster himself. That is away this time. Handsome Hayden Wings, not in studio. It's a restraining order we have out in him right now. Okay, Hayden. Uh, the Tampa Bay Bucks traveled to the Seattle Seahawks with Seattle as six and a half point favorites at home, a 52 total in this one. I mean, the Seahawks, Hayden, are expected to score almost 30 points in this game. The Seahawks are also six and two. Um, I do want to point you, though, to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers offense first, because despite Jameis Winston being maybe a bottom seven quarterback so far this NFL season, Chris Godwin and Mike Evans are on pace for over 1,400 yards. Is this a game, Hayden, where you might want to play Jameis Winston just because of how bad the Seattle defense is? I think you can get away with uh, calling like a quarterback 1-2 right now. He has three games with over 380 yards. The Bucks just keep getting in shootouts because their secondary is so awful. And Seattle has weirdly allowed the fourth most pass attempts per game on defense right now. So I think both, obviously, you're playing Godwin. You're obviously playing Mike Evans as wide receiver ones. But I, I do think you can play Winston in season long, and I, I really like him in uh, DFS tournaments. So what about this? 
Seattle offense on the other side of the ball, though, because we're not worried about them scoring points so much. But as we know, they will absolutely take their foot off the pedal if they need to. 20 pass attempts last week. In the second half, Chris Carson rushed 13 times for 21 yards, whereas Russell Wilson, I believe, only threw the ball six times in the second half, which allowed the Falcons to get back in that game because that's what this offense does. Like, if they don't need Russ, they're not going to use him. So how do you figure this game script works for Wilson? Yeah, so that's always the danger here, but the Bucks have allowed the second most pass attempts on defense. So I'm, I'm hoping that we actually get some decent Wilson volume th- this week, even if they have a, a lead and just hope that Chris Godwin and Mike Evans kind of carry it uh, to the game stays within points. But even, even if he has another 20, 25 pass attempt game, he can still throw up three, four touchdowns and 250 yards. Um, he's just been so good. And then Chris Chris Carson's going to get his 20 touches in five straight games. Um, the issue with Chris Carson is Tampa Bay's allowed the lowest yards per carry to opposing running backs. They're at 2.9 yards per carry. So that's a potential concern. But um, I'd rather bet on the volume and then the, the high team total rather than worry about the yards per carry. The Bucks have lost four or five. Um, I mean, it's really trending in the direction where obviously Jameis Winston isn't back next season. It's also turning the direction that this might be a one-and-done season for Bruce Arians and Byron Leftwich and Todd Bowles and company. And James Winston. Yeah, because I, I just don't know how you can keep uh, a team together that loses five of six, and that's certainly very possible um, in this scenario. All right, before we get back on schedule uh, into a game we're actually supposed to talk about first, I do want to point you in the direction of the premium products of RotoWorld. If you go to rotoworld.com slash win or rotoworld.com slash DFS to give you a little extra boost, a little extra injection of goodness, uh, and use promo code NFL50, you get 50% off both. Season pass, DFS. Again, that's rotoworld.com slash win, rotoworld.com slash DFS. You got it right. Use promo code NFL50. You're on a hot streak. All right. Let's now go to the Chicago Bears at the Philadelphia Eagles. Eagles at home, five-point favorites. They are still just 500, though, I believe. At four and four. Is that mm-hmm. correct? Or are they four and three? Four and four. We'll say it. Uh, the Bears on the road are three and four. Hayden, last week we know that Matt Nagy had a lot of mistakes and he didn't want to admit them. We can point in his direction and say, hey, you did this bad. But the, what has also been bad at times this season are the Eagles cornerbacks. Mm-hmm. How do we think that Mitch Trubisky, Allen Robinson, David Montgomery, whoever else are going to fare against this Philadelphia defense? Yeah, so I, I don't think that we can just lift Trubisky up where we actually want to stream him in season long or anything like that. But Allen Robinson definitely has a higher ceiling, higher floor. Philly's last against fantasy wide receivers this, this year. He has seven-plus targets in every game. But I think the the one thing we've got to focus on with the Bears right now is David Montgomery. It seems like there's been a offensive identity shift where they're going to try to run the ball even more than they had before. And Montgomery, 27 carries last week. I wouldn't be surprised if we see him at 15 to 20 carries per game the rest of the season, regardless if they're winning or losing. I think that Nagy just knows that that he can't put the ball into Trubisky's hands. Okay, so what if he does get 20-plus carries, though? I mean, this is an Eagles front seven that is their strongest point on defense we talked about. And they've allowed 61 rushing yards per game, I believe, to opposing running backs this year. So where would you rank or where would you even play David Montgomery if he gets those touches? Yeah, I would probably go like a low-end RB2, um, definitely a flex play, even if, I mean, the Eagles are dominant up front, and the Bears, we know how stagnant they get on offense, but anytime you have a back that's getting 15-plus carries, you're kind of forced to rank him into the top 24. 
Yeah, I'm just going to point to some more Mitchell Trubisky stats because I can't get over these, and these are from Rich Rebar. Trubisky averages 3.2 yards per pass attempt under pressure, the lowest rate in the league. He also averages 6.6 yards per attempt from a clean pocket. That's 32nd out of 34. Uh, that's not good at all. No. Luckily, Allen Robinson is an absolute baller. Do you know who else is an absolute baller, Hayden? That's Deshaun Jackson. And we might finally get Deshaun Jackson Sounds back. Like on this Eagles Please. offense, because in week one, it was dynamite. There's a reason why Deshaun Jackson is one of my favorite buys heading into the season. And I actually think the Eagles have understood their lack of explosion in recent weeks without Deshaun Jackson, because they've been featuring Miles Sanders, despite all the rookie mistakes. So Hayden, let's, in a perfect world, in a fantasy land, say that um, Deshaun Jackson does play this week. What does that do for Carson Wentz and company? I think that's just been the missing ingredient. Like you said, the zero deep threats right now and just kind of been check downs and not just a lack of explosion. We get a couple of big plays randomly. Miles Sanders had one last week. Um, but yeah, I, I think this Deshaun Jackson's presence is going to elevate Carson Wentz's ceiling a lot. The Eagles right now, they're only projected 23 and a half points. I think that they they would smash the over on that this week. I don't think the bears defense is nearly as good as it, as it was. Yep. And uh, yeah, so fire up Deshaun Jackson if he if he if he actually is healthy. Um, Carson Wentz would be a tournament play that's would be somewhat contrarian in DFS if um, if people are still on the Bears. And then the last question is Zach Ertz versus uh, Dallas Goddard. I mean, the, I'll turn this to you guys. Is Zach Ertz dust? Like his his numbers hmm. right now are awful. I just think both are really good. Like if both are good and both have been good for a while. But that can take away at times if because running two tight ends is, is quite difficult in the NFL at times to run for an entire game. Zach Ertz is still top three in targets among all tight ends this year. Zach Ertz is still tied for second overall in red zone targets among all tight ends. And he's only scored one touchdown. I would imagine at some point, yeah. I don't know if it's this week, but at some point that matters. And he has positive regression. All right. Final game for us this week. Tennessee Titans at the Carolina Panthers. Three and a half point favorites the Panthers are after getting smashed mm-hmm. by the San Francisco 49ers. Um, you know, if we're talking about fantasy lands, I sat up in my bed thinking, hey, that means Cam Newton is coming back. Nope. Cam Newton, still not ready. Not yet, bud. Liz Frank, still hurting him. So we get another Cal Allen week. I mean, Hayden, there hasn't been much going for the Panthers offensively with Cal Allen at quarterback. They're averaging 5.4 yards per pass play over the past four weeks. That is 30th in the league. So how is the Panthers' offense outside of Christian McCaffrey, because he's starting no matter what, going to fare against this Titans' offense, or defense, I should say? Well, w- with Christian McCaffrey, they, they, uh, Tennessee is PFF's best run defense and second in run D- DVOA right now. Um, obviously, you're still firing them up, no problem. But it wouldn't be surprising if, if the Panthers struggle a little bit again. The, the issue has been Curtis Samuel's been close on these deep targets, but just Kyle Allen and Samuels aren't on the same page. That's why. Well, because one of them uh, is you, bad at football. Well, yes, that and the other one, Curtis Samuels, actually good at football. But we need <laughs> we need a healthy Cam Newton. I mean, how many air yards? I, I I keep building these charts, and if you look at the forecast, I have all, I have all these air yards charts. Curtis Samuels' numbers are insane, yeah. but he he hasn't been producing in the box score. So a buy low candidate. Hopefully, we get uh, Cam Newton back because I mean, Curtis Samuel is tilting me right now. What about DJ Moore, who has nearly as many fantasy points as you said? That's why Curtis Samuel's the buy low, because Curtis Samuel nearly has 200 more air yards than DJ Moore, but DJ Moore only has two fewer fantasy points than Curtis Samuel right now. So where do you rank DJ Moore in this particular matchup for Kyle Allen, who's uh, they've developed somewhat of a rapport together? 
Yeah, I, I think we have to rank DJ Moore over Curtis Samuel. Uh, just they just mesh better together. Um, the A dots are totally different, and yeah, I I think Samuel would be like a risky flex option. I'm just not buying in on Kyle Allen, and I think DJ Moore is like a fine wide receiver three. The last the last note I have is uh, Greg Olson's averaging two receptions, seventeen and a half yards in those last four games. Uh, just Kyle Allen's just not good enough to, to carry multiple receivers right now. Let's close with this Titans offense because, you know, a lot of people might look at what happened to Carolina last week where they just got run over, literally, in the running game and say, hey, Tennessee Titans have Derrick Henry. They love to feed Derrick Henry. He's going to have a big week. Mm-hmm. Hayden, to you, I would say that the two running games are drastically different, right? You have Kyle yeah. Shanahan who is creative, who uses a lot of motions and sweeps and makes – you know, defensive linebackers and linemen think out in space and leaves them unblocked. I mean, I'm not some expert on the Tennessee Titans offense, but it certainly seems like they just want to hand the ball to Derrick Henry and ask him to plow over people at the line of scrimmage. So I don't know if the Titans offense, especially running the football, is going to be nearly as successful as the 49ers were against this Panthers defense. Yeah, this is probably a good game to have the under on. I, I don't really believe in either of the offenses. I think Derrick Henry's going to get a ton of touches. Um, he's averaging 19 carries, 73 yards on the ground. I think he can reach those numbers because um, the Panthers have been run on. But to expect an like, explosion, um, I'm not sure if I can get there. Tannehill's been a fine, but that's against two bad defenses. And Carolina's top five in GFF pass coverage, top five in pass DVOA, and top five in adjusted sack rate. So... This is probably a game to have the under on, uh, fire up some Derrick Henry, and then kind of leave the rest um, on the bench. I just want 12 targets for A.J. Brown each and every week. You're not going to get it. We're not, not going to get that. All right, that does it for us. Hayden, thanks, buddy. You can check out Hayden's column. That's the Fantasy Forecast. I would strongly recommend it. Mm-hmm. It's fantastic. Again, also check out Pat's rankings. Yes, he does the rankings up on Roto World. Um, Daigle, that does it for us, man. We'll be back Sunday for Roto World Live, noon Eastern, twitch.tv slash rotoworld again go back and listen to the previous episodes of this week's show uh, they're all loaded great information Take a lot job. there are a lot of podcasts to listen to this week have a great weekend everyone talk to y'all soon see ya the longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards the longest field goal ever missed also 76 yards why bring this up because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70 yard field goal it probably won't go well So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.